Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is the Slow Poisoner. I come to you from the future with these words of warning. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 106. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys! Plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> get headquartered 
A Timeline of the Monkey Solo Years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. My Warren Kramer book is finally being laid out, and it is looking really good. I'll let you know when it is finally released. And I'm still working on my Mad Book and a new Kool-Aid Man article. And we'll discuss th these and other new projects throughout the year. Today's guest is a rock photographer, book author, and record producer. Here he is, Daniel Costin. Okay, this is Mark Arnold, and today we have on the Fun Ideas podcast... Uh, Daniel Coston. Is that how you pronounce it? I should have asked ahead of time. Coston, like Boston Costin. with a C. I've been Costin. called much worse. I'm a photographer. I'm, be I'm used to being called much worse, yes. Okay. And just to keep everyone on track, we're on episode number 106 of the Fun Ideas podcast. So welcome to the show. And just wanted to ask you, basically, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into rock photography. It sounds very interesting. Thank you. Uh, I have been doing this since about 1995, 1996. I was a writer for a couple different magazines. Uh, one is a sports, uh, as a sports writer, and then later on as a uh, features writer for an independent zine. And uh, I really thought my life was going to be in that or video work, videos mm -hmm. or film is what I actually went to school for. And uh, along the way, photography said, "Hey, you haven't thought about this yet. Come over here." And as soon as I started doing that, the first things I photographed was uh, the Beach Boys at Farm Aid, uh, which was an amazing day. Um, I got to interview Douglas Adams, famous science fiction author, photographed him. And within a, a week or two, started working with my first couple of bands. And it was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm having a lot of fun. And, it, you know, in, in life, hopefully the best things that come to you choose you. You know, I think mm -hmm. photography chose me uh, more than I chose it. But when it did choose me, I didn't fight it. I, a lot of people, when something that comes along, it's like, yeah, but I plan on being blank, blank, blank. It's like, <laughs> if it's talking to you, if it says, come along, let's go, go, see where mm -hmm. it leads. Yeah. Well, that's like me. Is, uh, before we go on, uh, yeah. you know, I'm a writer, if you don't know, uh, and I write uh pop culture books, not just about the monkeys and the Beatles, but also like on cartoons, animation, comic books, things like that. So okay. when I was in high school, I had no interest in writing, but I realized why is because I was writing about books that I didn't care to read and book reports yeah. and other assignments. So it came to me naturally once I did it on something I liked. But so I guess that was kind of like with you, with the photography. I mean, were you setting out to um, photograph bands or were you just photographing everything? I mean, were you one of these shutter bugs that just like takes everything? It kind of, at first, kind of a little bit of everything. I did sports photography for about a year, but it was, you know, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't that thing. Something about music and photography just said, that's it. That's what yeah. you've been looking for. Go. And I, I, you know, since then, last 25 years, I've been, I work often or did work often in Charlotte as a, a event photographer. I was the um, event seen and heard photographer for the uh, daily here in Charlotte for 16 years. And I was doing that for uh, several publications and directly for organizations literally during the day or at night and then r finishing the sh that gig and then running off and photographing concerts. Hmm. So <laughs> it's like, I have this horrible 
problem where I can't say no. If I genuinely think I can pull it off and go see all these different things in a night, sometimes in different cities, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this past year has been an adjustment like most of us to say, okay, all these things I'm used to doing aren't happening right now. What else can I do? And kind of is, that led me into different things this year. But looking back, photography just, uh, it was just all the things that lined up. I think if it had happened five years before, I wouldn't have been in the right headspace for it. But it just, it was, I was in the right place at the right time to start the journey. Mm-hmm. And when you started, were you uh, doing digital photography, which is commonplace now, or did you start with actual film? With film. With okay, film. So. I actually only went digital about 10, 11 years ago. I was one of the last stick in the muds. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, my heroes were all the guys who shot, like, work with the Beatles, you know, mm-hmm. Jim Marshall, Henry Diltz. Uh, you know, all the guys who were working with those bands and then going back to Edward Steichen and um, oh, uh, Walker Evans and really kind of people who made their look and feel through film. And that was what I wanted to do. I really, you know, I loved blues and jazz photography. I was just like, oh, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to do that. So I held on to that until I felt like digital, well, I, until I felt like I had taken film as far as I could go. Yeah. And then I felt like the digital gear had started to catch up to what I was used to doing on film. Right. So, uh, but to this day, I always say I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a film photographer in a digital world. I still want, <laughs> I still like the, 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 the imperfections and the, and the guts and the, um, the heart that really, for me goes into really great black and white and, and color film photography. Right. And when we, you were working with uh, film, were you doing every step of the process, developing and everything, or are you just doing the, the actual taking except, of the photographs? Except developing. I learned early on I was too fidgety. And oh. <laughs> you have to, with, with processing, it's a process. You've got to, you know, and I was just like, no, I just want to get this done. And I want to, you know, right. because, especially when you're working, you, you just don't have time to, you know, sit in the, uh, your ba- uh, your bathroom and, process film and then print it i was i, was, I got good at printing yeah. but i learned early on i was like no let somebody else process this you're going to be happier in the long run, especially with color yeah i mean i i wouldn't necessarily call myself a photographer but i do have a broadcasting degree but i did take a photography class back in the days when it yeah it was all film and uh-huh. yeah we learned how to do everything with the stop and the fixer and the <laughs> you know all that stuff smelly chemical stuff but you know i never continued past the class other than learning how to do it and it was very interesting i'll say that so that's why i was curious if you had gone the full gamut or just the photograph side or you know you said you do the print side yeah yeah it was more the printing side i learned early on i actually got to do a little bit of before i really got into photography i did a little bit of that in college and again i wasn't really into it yet i was shooting more for the teacher than i was for myself but mm-hmm. at the same time, it did. I did learn about process and okay, this is what happens if you do this. And it, it those were kind of little ideas that took a few years to uh, to flower mm-hmm. for me. So you said when we were on the show together with Plastic EP the other day and yeah. today, uh, your first real rock photography was at Farm Aid. Um, was that planned? Did you say I'm going to take photos, or do you just happen to have your camera? How did it How did it all begin for you? Uh, the magazine well, I was with at the time got a, a a writer pass and a photography pass to Farm Aid. It was in Columbia that year. Um, Hooting the Blowfish was like the it band, especially from South Carolina. <laughs> so 
okay, well, and the photography we had at the time wasn't interested in covering it. I was like, well, I've done everything else and I know these bands. I want to see these bands, so I'll take the pictures. So that day alone was like Sunvolt, who I ended up working with on a few albums. Uh, you know, I met uh, Doug Som. I met, um, you know, and saw Neil Young for the first time. Uh, you know, Willie Nelson and, and you know, the Beach Boys and met Steve Earle and all these amazing people. And it was just like, just, you know, suddenly you're in the middle of it. You're in the middle of, of being around these people as they're interacting and being themselves. And you're getting to witness funny things or interesting things. And it was like, this is a real, this is a real gig. This is a real experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was uh, very intoxicating to me from the beginning. It was just like, okay. And even though I, I look back and go, God, I was so green. I was just, I could have done <laughs> blah, blah, blah. What I did get though, you know, for little baby steps was like, yeah, there's some good stuff there. Right. Um, so, you know, you, you said early on you did the Beach Boys and you photographed them since. It went, I've never really done situation. I've done a few situations, yeah. but uh, not with any sort of longevity. I mean, have you photographed the Beach Boys enough to this point where you're the guy they call, or at least they're the guy they call if they're, you're in the area or they're in the area, I mean, or well, how does that them, work? I usually work with them through Endless Summer Quarterly, which is the magazine that we discuss. It's the official Beach Boys fan publication. Mm -hmm. It's run out of Fort Mill, which is just across the state line from me. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, mm -hmm. and it's run by David Beard, who I've known from, I think he was at Farm Aid in 96, and yeah. uh, yeah. Uh, a few years after that, I started taking pictures for him for Endless Summer Quarterly. So it's usually under his guise where he or he calls and says, I'm going to be at, you know, this place in South Carolina or Knoxville or Georgia. Like, you know, can you come with me? And, and, and usually it's all by the way, can you drive me to? <laughs> um, being a photographer, I'm used to doing long haul driving. So, you know, mm -hmm. picking up in the car and going is not an issue for me. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's I'm when I'm photographing him or the Brian Wilson uh, show, uh, it's through David. And that's mm -hmm. fine because it kind of allows me just to focus on photography. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it is, it is, I always say I have a lot of respect for David. It's his gig and it's, it's his, been his gig for a very long time and he's worked hard to make the magazine what it is now. So it's, it's kind of like I'm, I'm there as um, uh, photographer and, and a, a, a occasional driver. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, and that's good too. I, um, if I was to work directly with the camps, you, you know, you, as some people would know, you either kind of work with one or the other, but working through the magazine allows me to photograph and interact with both, which mm -hmm. I enjoy. I mean, they're, they're not as dissimilar as some people would think them to be. They're really good musicians who up until March were just, you know, playing day-to-day -day, gig to gig and trying to make, do the best show they can. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Do you, do you um, I guess what I kind of mean also is, do, do you follow a tour as it goes around the country, or you just kind of stick on the East Coast where you're at? So far, East Coast. I'd like okay. to do more Midwest, but the thing I got into, and I did that for a while, but the problem is, you know, when the further and further afield you go, you mm -hmm. kind of have to say no to, like, X amount of work here in town, and, and as many people know, rock photography does not pay uh what it what some of us would think you know right um a lot of times even the biggest gigs i've ever done in my life i did out of my own pocket mm -hmm. just thinking okay i want to do this i'll figure the rest out later right. i've been really good I, I dare say it's one of the reasons i've continued this is i i 
have always been, oh, I want to do that. I'll figure out the rest later. <laughs> you know, if, if, if somebody was sensible in my position, they go, well, that's, that's a six hour drive. I don't know if there's any return in these, in these photos. Like, no, I want to do it. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Well, you've done it long enough. I mean, uh, are you, besides, you know, the Beach Boys, uh, you've done photography for the monkeys quite a bit. I mean, are you on call? Are you like the guy to get for a lot of these events now? I don't think I'm the guy for both either band. I really enjoy okay. working with both. Mm-hmm. Um, with the monkeys, uh, I photographed them in person 2012 on that first tour they did with Nesmith and then discovered that night that Andrew Sandoval, who's been their manager and archivist, who's yeah. a good friend of mine, was now their manager. And he was like, well, anytime you want to come back and shoot us, let me know. Well, so I started shooting. You know, that's an endorsement. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that. And, so it's not so much the monkeys call me, but I usually will call Andrew and say, hey, by the way, I'm going to I can make Georgia. Um, but a couple times he said, you should be here for this one. One was the L.A. show in 2016 at the Pantages. Oh, OK. Uh, he and I were talking at a show in Georgia. and He just looked at me and said, you're coming, right? OK. And I was just like, I have to. This is this is a journey because I knew, I'd figured early on that Nesmith was going to be at least one show on that tour. Okay. And it, it all just kind of made absolute sense. And that one actually, um, people were like, oh, you know, you're going out, you hang out with the van, you get to spend all this time in LA. Well, the issue was <laughs> I had three gigs in Charlotte as an event photographer, three gigs in Concord and Charlotte the night before. Mm-hmm. Did all those. I had that day free. So Friday morning, I flew out to LA, got there for a sound check, you know, kind of stayed away from the band because everybody was very nervous. It was a very important show. But and then I got to hang out in the crowd and get kind of feed off of what was going on, their emotions of the night. Show was fantastic, as you probably have heard. You know, there's yeah. a lot of videos out there. Um, there wasn't a lot of official photographers or sh- shooting for the band apart from myself, but everybody in that crowd had a camera or cell phone. <laughs> and, and God bless them, because it means that we got that night documented. That's really mm-hmm. important in the long run. And, but as soon as that show was done, I took a plane back, I took the cab back to LAX, flew back overnight, and shot three gigs in Charlotte the next day that I had been booked for already. Wow. Okay. But it was like, if if you have the opportunity to go see that show, I mean, and as you remember at the time, mm-hmm. we all thought it was going to be Nesmith's last show with the right. monkey. We mm-hmm. didn't know it was going to be the last show that Nesmith did with Mickey and, and, and Pete. Peter, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I count myself very lucky for having witnessed that and documented it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times with shows come along, it's like I'll contact and say, Andrew and say, hey, I think I can make Michigan. Or, I, oh, wait, I, I was going to do Pennsylvania. I can do Pennsylvania, which is what happened on the 2019 tour. By the way, I, um, I think I can make it to Michigan. Okay. So it's, it's kind of like working on schedules and checking with him, making sure that vibes are good and everybody's kind of okay with it even though i don't re- again i don't really interact much with the band right um, but you know you kind of answered my earlier question yeah you are on on call at times and yeah. you will fly oh, yeah. further distances at times if you're the one they want to use which is kind of a sweet deal <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good call or like a good example is the left bank you know i worked mm-hmm. with the 2011 the 2013 version of them i didn't interviewed um all many of them in 2002 for a magazine article stayed mm-hmm. in touch with them these shows in 2011 came about and i was like i have to go i never thought i'd see the the left bank so so mm-hmm. i went and shot both nights in 
uh, Joe's Pub in New York. Well, the second night I was doing post pictures with a band and then stayed <laughs> in touch with them. Yeah. It, I didn't know that 2013 show was going to be the last one. Mm-hmm. The, show, the show fell. It was a Friday, I think. And it was my wife's birthday. Oh. And I really <laughs> try not to run off too far mm-hmm. on her birthday. You know, <laughs> good boy. And <laughs> Tom Finn, the bassist and vocalist, mm-hmm. called me and said, you really should be here. Uh, Michael Brown's going to play with us. You know, oh. the guy that wrote Walk Away Renee and Pretty Ballerina. It's kind of like, okay, yeah, I got to be here for that. And, and my wife understood and um, <laughs> yeah, darn, darn. of course I then you know I think I slept a couple after the show I slept a couple hours in the airport and you're gonna say I slept on the sofa well I actually once to sleep on the floor I LA. Don't, yeah, don't only do that once I, I did that early in 2016 I got the chance to uh photograph uh Emmett Rhodes's last public appearance oh wow Appearance only one. Um, he did a thing at the Grammy Museum, and I was shooting that through uh, my friends and Omnivore Recordings. And again, somebody says, "Hey, you want to come out and shoot for us and and, and photograph Emmett Rhodes?" Yeah, I'm there. I'm totally there. So, but um, I've learned actually doing what I did with a monkey show is easier. It's actually easier for me to t- if I have to to take mm-hmm. the red eye back. Yeah, because you know, again, you don't know how much this is going to turn into something unless a band has said, "Okay, we're going to have." this and we can p- take care of this and this you don't know you know and i always assume well no matter what i can cover my own costs right. so uh it, it's it's the frugality i think that's kind of helped to keep me in this business right uh from time to time so uh but yeah i was i was at the left even the left bank gig i was back uh working a video shoot the next day wow. okay yeah. um before we go on to other aspects of your career i just want you gave me a list of like various artists you've covered so i'd like you to like elaborate a little bit yeah. um so uh johnny cash's last appearance tell me about that and how you got on that gig <laughs> the last public appearances and the only ones he did after june passed away um mm-hmm. i had gone and discovered the carter fold which is the carter family's venue in virginia and as soon as i went there late in 2002 i was just like i, be- I belonged here my whole life i just can't explain it it just mm-hmm. is one of these places that just feels right to me and I can still tell you the date. It was June 14th, 2003. I had a free gig or I had a free day on Saturday. And I was like, and it was, had been a month after June had passed away. Hmm. And I went just to see what was going on. And I picked up that night that there was a, a tribute show that was going to happen the June the next week. But it was something that people weren't talking about. It was like that hmm. unspoken thing. Sometimes in a, you run into in a conversation. It's like, okay, what's up? And I started talking to other people that work there and turns out they were all Carters um, <laughs> and, or cousins of sorts. And um, one of them just said, yeah, come back next week and shoot for us. Mm-hmm. So, and then she took me around to Jeanette and Joe Carter who ran the place. They were Sarah and AP Carter's kids. And so this is Daniel. He's going to come back and shoot for us next week. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the short order, I found myself at, you know, Johnny, Mr. Cat, we all say Mr. Cash. We, we, <laughs> so any of us who had experience around him, we all say Mr. Cash. We do it because because it sounds right to us. Yeah. And uh, so I photographed his tribute show to June on what it would have been what would have been her birthday show. Hmm. And um, yeah, it was like just over a month after she passed away. Mm-hmm. And 
word had gotten out through, uh, I think his daughter posted on like Johnny Cash web ring, if you remember those things. Uh, <laughs> so suddenly this venue that holds five, 600 people, 1600 people show up. So they opened up the sides and the back walls of the fold. So people just sat up the mountainside. If you were on the floor, which was where I was, it was endless. It was just wow. amazing. And then he wasn't well enough to come back for the next week's show. I was supposed to be in New Jersey the following week, which was July 4th weekend. Supposed to be up there, up in New Jersey, shooting a festival. Festival fell apart. Like, you know, not happening at all. So I was like, well, I need, I need, I, need, I know where I need to be. So uh, I uh, drove back to the fold and photographed what became his final public appearance, July 5th. He had planned to come back to the fold in September and his health got in the way. So uh, it was a really um, amazing emotional experience, as you can imagine. Um, You know, I first read about Mr. Cash in a comic book when I was nine years old. (laughs) This, you know, and I always, I always, I I know I've stayed in touch with John Carter Cash uh, just because he's used my pictures for a number of things. You know, pictures have been used a number of places. And I, it's always weird to look at him and say, I first read about you in a comic book when I was eight. <laughs> you know, it's, but we have this shared love and experience of, of Mr. Cash. And, you know, mm-hmm. those pictures mean the world to me. You know, they, I, mm-hmm. I, I treat them and the family members as fa- my own family. Because mm-hmm. to, a, to a degree, they are. Did any of your photos end up in the Ken Burns country music documentary? Because I know Roseanne had a big portion in there and there's a lot of footage and a lot of photos used and things like that. Um, I have photos in the book. Um, in the book. Okay. I have the book too. So I'll stick with that. <laughs> yes. Found out about me a little too late. Okay. Uh, kind of, and they were like, Oh, if we'd known about you sooner, we would have called you, but they got me into the book. So I have a very good. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to take a look. Okay. So, okay. Um, and you kind of answered the one question. So he didn't know it was the last gig and then it ended up being the last gig. Is that basically right. it? Okay. Because right. I, I don't remember. I just remember, you know, Cat, uh, Cash kind of slowing down in his career and he, he seemed to be ailing. I didn't know if he made an official announcement. Like I think Glenn Campbell did like a, a final show or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It, what yeah. happened was uh, he his really, Mr. Cash had a version of neuropathy onto himself. They never really fully diagnosed it. They guessed at it, mm-hmm. but it really was something unto himself. And he announced that he was getting off the road in 1997, but then he started doing more shows at the Fold. Right. He did some shows with June to benefit the Fold. But most of it was just word of mouth around that area. If you didn't live in the area, you probably wouldn't have known about it. Yeah. So, but also, he had a couple albums before his death that, you know, and of course, it ended up being like a five-volume series or something like that. You know, five or six. And, yeah. and there's, there's still more. In the, there's still more in the archives. There's there's some songs I know that were recorded. I'd love to hear. Mm-hmm. So someday, you know, who knows? And I, so, I'm like you. I didn't first hear about him in a comic book, but I mean. He used to kind of almost be like the butt of jokes because he'd just appear on a variety show just and yeah. sing a song and it'd be like Ring of Fire and then he'd leave. And, you know, it, it wasn't like, well, this is the guy that did San Quentin and all that stuff. You know, I guess so. Yeah. You know, it was, And then later he kind of got a, a renewed following you know and and respect like he deserved the whole time but you know it's like i think it took american recordings for people to see him kind of back to the start and it took it took effort to to see himself 
mm-hmm. back to the start. I think he had kind of consigned himself to doing dinner theaters and, and, you know, and, and balloon festivals and uh, yeah. other things. And, and Rick Rubin gave him the chance to just be Johnny Cash. Yeah. And, um, and, and once that spark ignited, um, then these amazing things came out of that period. You know, it's, it's, um, it's amazing in, in res- retrospect how many different careers Mr. Cash had. And they're <laughs> all fascinating and they all are, um, speak to a, a really uh, an amazing uh, truth where light and dark both kind of um, interact intertwine if you will mm-hmm. and that's that's fascinating you know and in some ways the latter period the american recordings is is the most fascinating because it's almost like you know if you um, see mr cash as a greek or roman god it's always more fascinating when the god falls to earth because mm-hmm. he becomes human he becomes real yeah and yeah. i think for many of us the story of mr cash and we all followed it and, you know i as a fan as, as someone as a listener i follow that whole story of you know all the amazing things, all the times he nearly died in the 90s and early 2000s. And yet here he was in June 2003 doing a tribute show to June. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing is, amazing is I'll t- things I'll tell you about that show is he had not been walking for several months mm. uh, before that, but he insisted on walking back into the fold. So somebody got on either side of him and they walked him very slowly, step, step, mm. step. And he actually had to take a break like halfway through and he sat down and I have a picture of that where he's sitting down and he's surrounded by what's the sea of people going up the mountainside. And he then walked onto the stage wow. and started playing. He was going to do it the way he wanted to do it. And that was Mr. Cash. Very cool. Um, before I go into some other groups, a lot of them are uh, 60s acts. Now, is yeah. that your favorite time period of music, basically, before we cover a few of these? Um, I think so. Um, I've kind of bounced around decades all my life. And you know, I said, if I had been around 20, 30 years earlier, I probably would have worked with big bands. And that's my, <laughs> that would have been my grandparents' influence. Yeah. Um, but something about the music of the 60s, particularly, you know, British Invasion on, yeah. there, there, there's an amazing of purity and growth and um, fearlessness. Mm-hmm. that comes out of that decade and it just it, it you know even as a kid listening to oldies radio was like oh yeah this is different mm-hmm. you know this is way especially growing up in the 80s it was like oh this is way different than what's surrounding me so especially right. on the radio so it was just something um i i gravitated to and i listened to i knew all these bands mm-hmm. you know and so, and when you get the chance to see them or work with them, it's like you're going to say no to working with the Remains or Big Star or, right. you know, it's like, even though you know it's, you know, 30, 40 years after the fact or 50. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, the music and the people just say, yeah, go. You yeah. got to go do that. So um, I worked with a lot of, you know, current bands. I, I mentioned the Avett Brothers and I worked yeah. with their early albums. Wilco and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Wilco, a couple I'm I'm one of the few people that can say I've worked with both Wilco and Sunbolt. So I guess that's, that's like <laughs> yeah. the old country version of the Beach Boys. You know, you're supposed to stay on one camp or the other. And I was just kind of like I like both. Right. You know. So right. um, um well, I mean it's it gets you to more gigs. I don't uh yeah. You know, I don't play favorites. If, if it's live music, you know, it's like, I'll go see anybody, you know. So it's like, um, so anyway, let's go over a couple of these. You mentioned yeah. Left Bank. Uh, some of these, you know, it's like, I didn't even know they're still around. So you mentioned The Remains. Let's talk about them a little bit. I mean, their biggest 
notoriety is probably being on the Beatles' last tour in '66. Yeah. You know, with so. with the circle who I later end up working yeah, with. Yeah, and that you know, too, you know, it's yeah, like, was, uh, how, how did these come about? And I, how did I, you I, know I was, about them? <laughs> I was born in 1972, but I worked with two bands on the Beatles 66 tour. So right. I think it tells you something about me. <laughs> um, the Remains, um, again, it was good circumstances. I had been listening to their record and really enjoyed it. And the, the album that Epic released in 66 after they had broken up, after they'd done the Beatles tour. Mm-hmm. And I got in touch with Barry Tashian. The we did an I did an email interview for a paper in New York called The Big Takeover, who I've uh, written for for many years. And I said, Hey, if you ever get the chance to any be anywhere in this region, I figure Nashville, Georgia, Virginia, I will go and and shoot and photograph you. And he's like, Oh, actually, I'm going to be in Chapel Hill next month. We got a uh, book to play a wedding. You want to do our pictures? <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And wow. again, it's like you know, who am I to say no? You know. Mm-hmm. So I went and met them, met up with them. We did promo pictures. Uh, one of them said something that uh, in the long run was a good lesson. Uh, he, they said, man, we haven't done a photo shoot since the Beatles tour. And that totally intimidated me because, you wow. know, that's rattling around your head like a tin can, you know, like since the Beatles tour. And yeah. uh, I, I learned after that not to be intimidated, yeah. just no matter what happens, do the best job you can and, and leave the, the stuff that, you know, mm-hmm. plays in your head just off to the side. So we got some, we still got some good pictures out of that. And then I drove back to Chapel Hill two days later and they were playing a wedding reception and they mm-hmm. played a show on first practice in a year, borrowed gear um, <laughs> from the groom and mm-hmm. they absolutely smoked. And wow. it was one of the first times, you know, I'd seen the Beach Boys a couple of times at this point. I'd seen 60s bands I'd never seen a 60s band that played like they did in 1966. Wow. And this, this was at a <laughs> wedding reception. And it was in the law. I look back on that show and I go, wow, that really was the, for me, it was a turning point. It was like, man, if they sounded like this mm-hmm. back in the day, oh man, I want more of this. <laughs> so um, I, and sadly, I've never gotten to see them again since. Uh, they were in New York doing a gig the day after the left bank gig. In 2013, I just couldn't stick around mm-hmm. and see it, which is saying because their drummer passed away a year later. I'd love to have seen him again. And that, that's um, another question. It was like, are all these groups like most of the original members, or just a few, or a couple, or one? <laughs> and the remain the remains was 2002. At that point, they had all the original lineup. We actually wow, did cool. a picture okay. where I got him to pose in the exact pose and position of for as a of a picture that they did in 1965. Oh, that's cool. Like I'm the whole <laughs> picture in the corner. It's it's very meta. It's it's mm-hmm. very much like past is the present and this and that. But it was like we were just talking. I was like, wait, what if we did that photo? Yeah. And of course, my lights. I had a, a like a tungsten light kit on me, and it was uh, the house we were in in Chapel Hill was so old. Anything beyond like 60 watts was tripping the breakers. <laughs> so we did this whole photo shoot with um uh, with household lighting. Wow. Just moving lamps around and and, <laughs> and, 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 but God bless black and white I and mean, black and white can cover a multitude of color sins. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we did it. Mm-hmm. And again, it was an amazing show and I've stayed in touch with them mm-hmm. since, I, you know, I don't know if I get to see them again, but say the one time I did, it was awesome. Cool. And then, um, like Procol Harum is one you love on yeah. the list. Is that just Gary Broker or is there, is there other Gary people? Broker and 
other guys who have been in the band 20. Uh, okay. So not necessarily the originals, but people have been in there a long time. Okay. Right. I, I always kind of like think it's like Jeff Lindsay LO. It's Jeff and whoever's in the room. You know, it's, yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's, it's Jeff and whoever he's, he's gotten the band at that point. And right. Gary has kind of, you know, led the band, you know, different people coming and going through the years, but it's, it's amazing that, it, you as soon as he opens his mouth, it's Proclaim. I mean, yeah, yeah. Gary is such a big part of that, and he actually has his most stable lineup now. And, you mm. know, the Procol never really, you know, after the third album, they kind of changed every album. Mm. So it's funny now that he's basically had the same lineup since two thousand six, two thousand seven, mm-hmm. I think. So, uh, but fun guys to work with. Um, I, uh, you know, usually I would do kind of run backstage, do quick pose shots with them before they went on stage, whether they were, it was their show or opening for yes or someone like that. Mm-hmm. So you, you learn to pick your spots. You learn to say, yeah. okay, you know, like, give me two minutes and I'll get this photo. Yeah. So do you normally have on most concerts the time to do it? Uh, or does it depend on the popularity of the act or whatever? It, it's, it's, um, it varies between acts. Obviously if it, the band is super popular, there's a lot more people at them. There's a yeah. lot more people. There's road managers. Oh, I want to keep them away from this and that. But um, it's it, it varies. You know, like with Wilco, I'm going to go back to that one. That was, okay. um, I was photographing them for a magazine and they were three hours late for the photo shoot because they, they were sound checking. <laughs> so they finally showed up. And I, of course, I had driven all the night, all, all night long from Philadelphia yeah. to, from, Phil, from Charlotte to Philadelphia, waited for the shoot completely crashed emotionally because I was just, you know, running on adrenaline, <laughs> pick myself back up. We get all the photos done in half an hour and wow. they were very nice because they knew they were so late. And then we just sat around and talked. Right. And we, and at that point we all kind of got along and actually I just kept shooting through that and got some really good pictures. So it really depends on the night. There's some bands I've worked with. It wouldn't have happened another night, but thankfully because I was there either for the band or for a magazine um, or through this, you know, mutual party, the, the photos got done. Mm-hmm. Now, in something like that, where they're like three hours late, is there ever a time where you just say, I can't wait anywhere, I gotta go, you know, and you missed I, out on some experience? There's been a couple things that didn't happen because the band just couldn't do it, or they mm-hmm. begged off, and that's happened, but okay. um, I don't like, I don't like being the one to say, I can't do this. That's if funny. I can make okay. this any way possible, even if it's like two, three in the morning, yeah, I'm doing it. Okay. So, yeah, um, I was just kind of curious. Uh, I, let's see if there's... And that's, that's coming out of video in my other fields. It was always like, no matter what, you brought home something. You know, yeah. no matter what, you know, if you're going to go out and do this, you've got to bring home some picture to say, okay, but no matter, even if it's, even I'm, if I'm the boss, I'm still mm-hmm. going to be one to say, oh, I got this. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, again, it's, and it's also just, you you learn to stay open to possibilities even if it's not what you originally planned right so that's um it's 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 served me well through the years i was just wondering if you get frustrated it's like three hours i gotta go you know i might get get frustrated but i try not to show it because as soon as you show it yeah (laughs) yeah you know because the more that you can interact with them and even Mm -hmm. if they're in a bad mood or something's going on you just keep a straight face stay calm i have learned is you know it's that uh it's the the comedy thing if somebody's being you know say they're being lou costello they're playing up you got to be bud abbott you got to play down right because <laughs> if you play down they're going to come down to you 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's, I might do things in conversation just to throw, make, say, make them laugh, say booger multiple times just to, just to get a reaction, mm-hmm. but I'm still going to find a way to get them on my wavelength. If That's possible. very cool. And the last one I'll ask you about before we go on to your books, um, yeah. the group Love, you know, uh, yeah. what was that one like? I count myself really lucky. I have a lot of friends in LA and California who said, oh man, I saw them and Arthur was a mess. And um, I <laughs> saw two fantastic Arthur Lee and Love shows. Oh, very cool. I saw him, I look back that whole summer with Mr. Cash. It was those shows. I did two days with Les Paul, like two, two weeks later. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then at the end of the summer, Arthur Lee and Love plays the Birchmere on the Forever Changes tour. Mm. And I really liked that record. But then mm-hmm. to see that record live with strings and horns, it was um, a revelation. You mm. know, it's, it's still one of my all-time favorite albums. And, yeah. uh, and since, since then, I actually have, interviews with i did later did later with uh johnny and michael that are in the forever changes box set mm-hmm. which was a and i didn't know that was going to happen until it was actually in print a friend that's of mine really used cool. those he's like i hope that's okay i'm like yeah it's oh only, you didn't ask your permission only one of my top five <laughs> albums yeah why, yeah why not sure um cool. you know twist my arm but um <laughs> that show was fantastic and then a year later they did a tour with the zombies mm-hmm. and Arthur worked really hard to let you know that while he was on stage, it was a love show, you know, mm-hmm. um, even it may have been zombies on top of the bill. It was a love show when he was on stage and uh, unbeknownst to even his own band uh, at the beginning of that tour, he showed up on the bus with Johnny Eccles mm. and said, Johnny's rejoining us. So I'm watching this show, looking at this guy over here in the corner going, it can't be. It's like, it looks like him, but it, it can't be. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, my original guitar player, Johnny Eccles. And it's wow. Like, you know, like, <laughs> and then cool. five, great show. Five minutes before the zombies go on stage, Arthur and Johnny show up in the merch tent at the front of the venue. So, of course, massive rush. Yeah. So, and so people, zombies are starting and, and half the audience is in the, in the lobby because they're wanting <laughs> to Arthur. And somebody, some lady got a she worked her way up to the front and got a picture with arthur and johnny she walked off and as soon as she walked up said hey guys and they looked my way and got i got pictures of arthur and johnny arm in arm and then um i sent those to mojo magazine and they wrote me back and said yeah we're gonna run this this is the first published picture of them together in 36 years oh cool yeah and that was that was nice so uh uh, arthur's widow diane has used some of my pictures for other things since and uh it was a great experience, you know, just um, to, see, to think that, you know, all these years later, all the things that Arthur had been through that I got to see him essentially being at the top of the game. He's still one of the best frontmen I've ever seen. That's really so cool. I, I played tambourine with a few different bands and I'll couple do a couple moves and they're like, where'd you get that from? I was like, Arthur, <laughs> you know, learn from the best, you know, that's what you got to do. Now you mentioned the zombies. Was it uh, the full quartet then or was it just then but then i got the chance to photograph the first ever complete performance of odyssey and oracle in london cool and my wife and i uh, kind of uh worked our uh honeymoon trip <laughs> around that so we were going to go the first night and then sunday rolled around and we're like let's do that again so we bought tickets again i snuck a camera in took pictures the second night too um uh, and then later on um those shows with chris and hugh 
uh, came back to America and I shot that in Denver where I finally got post shots of all the original guys, got them to, got a signed album. So like all the things that didn't happen on the London trip happened on the Denver trip <laughs> later, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then I shot them on that last, I, I, I they did a sh- another show in 20, a tour in 2017. I shot that. I mm-hmm. missed the tour they did with Brian Wilson. I really okay. wanted to see that. And my schedule just didn't allow. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, and I actually had a conversation with somebody recently that he's a well-known producer. And he had said on a podcast, it's like, well, I really want to, I want to, I want to work with the zombies. I didn't know who to contact. And then I, I don't like being the guy saying, Hey, you should do this. But I wrote the guy and said, Hey, you should do this. <laughs> and if, this is, if you work with him, this is what you should know. And this is who you should contact. I don't, I don't know if he, he was like, yeah, I should do that at some point. I'm like, dude, if you, if they're going to take your call, go do it. Mm. You know, I, I, you don't know who I am. I'm just, I'm, I may be just be a Burke from Charlotte, North Carolina, but trust me, you should do this. <laughs> so um, I, I think that kind of um, some would say bullheadedness. Some would say just, you know, a blind belief in, in myself. That, that's how I've gotten most of the gigs in my life. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, it'd be nice to do blank. And then I figured out a way to do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, 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 going back to your earlier conversation, I've never tried to draw lines on mm-hmm. myself. It's like, hey, I, I think I can pull that off. Let's go do it. That's cool. Yeah. Be fearless. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> life's too short. You know? And, and I keep, I, again, I, I somehow keep pulling this off. So um, <laughs> um, why doubt myself now? Right. Now, I guess uh, we said because of the pandemic, you're kind of off tour, probably not taking as many photographs. And yeah. uh, you mentioned you've had six books published and two more on the way. So I yeah. kind of got the titles looking at Amazon, stuff like that. So I'll just kind of read them off. They might not be in order, but I mean, uh, just kind of tell me a little bit about it. So Northern, North, North Carolina Musicians is the first one yeah, I saw. That was so. a book I did for uh, McFarland uh, mm-hmm. in North Carolina in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was supposed to be a photo book, but McFarland bought it as a textbook. Oh. So I quickly became the writer as well as the photographer. And that was a good, I'm, I'm glad, you know, it's, it's sort of like, I'm not sure I would write it that way now but I'm glad I did it at the time. It's, it's a good, and also documented a lot of musicians uh, in North Carolina before they passed away. I'm mm-hmm. glad that we were able to talk about as many people as we could at that point in the present tense, because inevitably it changes after they pass away. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I, I did that book when I did. Is there anybody particularly famous that came out of that territory? I'm not necessarily familiar with North Carolina, North Carolina musicians, so or I might be, uh, but not know it. <laughs> Taylor's probably the most famous. Um, okay. Everybody from Earl Scruggs, um, Doc Watson. Um, okay. You know, of course, the Avid brothers are pretty big um, mm-hmm. from this region now. Uh, Carolina Chocolate Drops, I work with them. Um, okay. Again, and I came up in a, in a time in the, in the 90s where the Chapel Hill scene was just kind of blowing up. You had Ben Folds 5, you had Squirrelman Zippers, Backsliders. There was the, mm-hmm. you know, Raleigh had Backsliders in Whiskey Town. And I, you know, Super Chunk, and uh, mm-hmm. we were back in Chapel Hill, and, and I just kind of went and saw them and eventually ended up working with them. So, so are uh, all these covered in this book then, or you yeah, have a I worked, them all in, I worked them all in the book later on. So okay, very cool. Uh, it was, it was uh, doing these books has been a good way to kind of say, oh, by the way, I did all this, and let me tell you some, some stories about them, or let me tell you more about these 
musicians or, or music that you may not know about. Okay. Um, the reason I asked is because like I interviewed Tim Hollis is a big uh, pop culture story. And I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, a lot of his books that he wrote originally were very regional to Alabama and the area where he lives. And then as he got more known, he did Disney books and other things like that. So I was saying, North Carolina musicians, is there anybody that I would know? And then you mentioned a few and I go, okay, so it has more than a regional appeal, even though it has that title. I'm just curious. Yeah. 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 And really, it was me wanting to write about what was around me. And also that was what the publishers were asking for. Mm -hmm. So it was um, a little bit of both and wanting to get these stories out. I've kind of been drifting more into more national books, including the books that I'm working on right now. Okay. Um, but it, I'm really glad I got those books out when I did because it, it spoke to a lot of things that mattered to me. Mm-hmm. And the next one I see, um, these are not in order because I think I put down, it came out in 2020, The Last Days of Double Door Inn. Yeah, and actually there's two books on the Double Door Inn. There's okay. that one, that's that's the most late, the latest uh, released book. Mm-hmm. And um, the Double Door Inn was a blues music venue here in Charlotte. When it closed, it was the oldest blues music venue in the U.S. east of the Mississippi. Oh, wow. And uh, it was a place I'd been photographing at for 20 years and met Link Ray there and, you know, all these amazing musicians. And I really wanted to write about um, mm-hmm. the history of the place. So and I, we, we had a couple different versions of the book that came out in 2009, 2013, and then in 2017, after the venue closed, I just took the book and rewrote it from sc- largely from scratch mm-hmm. to, to really tell the story of, of the venue from beginning to end. And that was cathartic. I had worked hard to try to save the venue, which we weren't able to do. So I think that book was my catharsis for not being able to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. So, uh, and then the last days was a, a book of photos just from the last five, six shows. I realized in those last days, I photographed all the last shows, uh, mm-hmm. that the the photos were becoming its own project. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't have the time to dive into that until 2020. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you said you're trying to save it. What was causing it to close? Was it poor attendance or just the owners were tired um, of writing it? Things that the, the local community college had bought all the land around it. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious to the owner that he either could sell it to the college for the best money or they would shut him down and they would buy it for nothing. Mm. And he, you know, and then the community college wouldn't allow us to move it up the street because, well, he already planned to tear it down. It's, you know, just, they basically, Mm. um, (laughs) you know, and I think they had this strange idea. Anybody who um, tears down historical buildings will tell you, Oh, you know, we're going to honor the history of the place by a plaque or something. It's almost this idea that, um, if we tear it down, we own its history. Uh, yeah. If it moves up the street, we don't own it. But, you know, we can always say it was here. Well, they don't own anything, you know. Right. Um, you know the, the double door belongs to all of us that were a part of it. Right. And um, and I, I recognize that if we had moved it up the street, you know, we had so many good faith things going that it would have only taken one person to break the chain. And honestly, it wasn't the double door the moment that Nick, who is the, the original owner from the beginning, mm-hmm. as soon as he walked out the door, it wasn't the double door anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a mixture of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I acknowledge that time moves along and uh, things change, but it doesn't mean you always want them to change. So, <laughs> um, 
but it yeah it happens everywhere they tear down things and move things and yeah you know it's not like how it was in the 80s or whatever you know um uh next book i see is uh and this one was kind of interesting and uh, i wanted to know if this came out of your photography or vice versa um there was a time and it's about 60s music so and it's about um, the music scene of North Carolina, specifically to Charlotte during the okay. 1960s. Um, that came out of the Double Door book, actually, the first version. I had a okay. friend of mine who wrote me and said, when are you going to do, do a book about my scene, and, which was the 60s rock scene? And I was like, I was listening to that music, but I, I realized I didn't know as much about what had been coming out of North Carolina as I should. Mm-hmm. And I really used the book as a way to learn and to document um the music and also i wanted you to be, be able to follow a group of kids through the decade you know there's some really great books out there about you know the list every recording we know of and you know who <laughs> did what and those are great books but i really wanted you to know what it was like to be there and yeah. i did it the book in a, in a way of a, a kind of a long interview format style where i t- did 40 to 50 interviews and then i wove them together into a long narrative that's and cool. McFarland actually looked at that and said, we love this book. We'd never publish it because <laughs> law, publishers wanted to do single narrative, uh, near mm-hmm. single narrator books, meaning I do all the writing and I use short quotes from all these people. Well, it's not my story. It was their yeah. story. Right. So I actually formed my own uh, imprint, which is Fort Canoga Press, oh. to get that book out the way I wanted. And then I'd use that for the the last version of the double war book for the last days book and a couple of my other books. I just, I found I was happier in the long run um, having control about how people saw the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I once, I wouldn't say I had a bad experience with McFarland. I actually I had a very good experience with them, but it, anytime you work with a publisher, it's like a, a large record label. It's give and take. Yeah. And ultimately I I'm, I'm, I'm bullheaded enough to uh, say, this is how I want these books to come out. Yeah. I've had the same uh, tug of war with uh, mine, which is Bear Manor. They they do a lot of my books, but yeah. uh, I try to keep it on the positive side. But I have yeah. published a couple of them on my own, either by choice or by design. So yeah, if another publisher stepped up and said we want to do this, I would I would wholeheartedly in, um, consider it. I've been yeah. working very slowly on a uh, a book on the left bank, which we'll talk about at some point. Um, okay. That may. That's kind of the book I start and then get sidetracked for different mm-hmm. reasons. Yeah. Um, I have a book I've been doing on an autobiography of Maurice Williams, or Maurice okay. Williams and the Zodiacs. I might release that myself, but if a publisher said we want to publish it, I consider it. Mm-hmm. Same with another book I've been working on. I'm, I have another book that may be published by University of Tennessee. Um, if they do it, great. If they don't, I'll put it out myself. But I'm, I also um, like to stay focused on working. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm ha- I hate to say it. I, um, well, it's the truth though. I'm happier when I'm working. Yeah. I'm happier when I'm creating. Yeah. yeah. I'm the same way. So, I mean, it's like, yeah. even I do these podcasts, I'm working on a mad book. I'm working on another book that I can't really discuss right at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, there's a couple others that are with Bear Manor that are in the process of coming yeah. out. Uh, so yeah, I get it totally. <laughs> and I like being creative. Um, yeah. Uh, a couple other ones. This one sounds like, since you were saying uh, the Double Door Inn, uh, was the original version this other one, the Charlotte's Home of the Blues? Is That that was the original right? version of okay, the, the got it. Book, okay. book. Yeah. All right, now that you said There's that. There's three versions out there, but um, the last one is, I think it's just simply Home of the Blues, A History of the Double Door Inn. 
Okay, yeah, that's the one I just saw. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, geez. Is this yours, Rock Hill High School? I, I actually over, I released that through Fort Canoga Press. It was a high school graduation that came to me and said, would you photograph it? And by the way, is there a way you can publish photos from this from this event? I was like, well, I think I can do that. So uh, All right. there's that. And there's this book on the, the Briar Hoppers. The Briar Hoppers mm -hmm. were a very popular yeah, band in Charlotte in the 30s to 50s. And I started that book many years later uh, with one of their uh, latter members. And I finished my part of the book. And just as he was starting to work on his part, he um, contracted double pneumonia coming back from a tour of Europe and was really never the same. And I actually finished that book just to kind of honor the, the, the book that he wanted, that my friend wanted to make. So, uh, so I'm, I'm glad to have that book out there too. Mm. So, yeah, I always ask that because when it, when the book is kind of a little left field compared to everything else in your <laughs> um, lexicon, I guess, or whatever, bibliography or whatever the word is. <laughs> um, like I interviewed Michael Urie on one of these podcasts. He does uh, Back Issue Magazine and uh, other things and is mainly in comic books. And then he has these travel guides and he's also in North Carolina. And I go, is this you? Because there could be another Michael Urie. He goes, yeah, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I compare it to I'm, you know, the same guy that worked with Johnny Cash and um, all yeah. these musicians is the same guy that uh, on a normal day would be photographing three to five social events mm -hmm. in Charlotte, you know, and, and most of those people have no idea. Like, they'll say, well, what do you do when you're not taking pictures? They're like taking more pictures and taking more pictures of bands. Yeah. Oh, do you know any writing? Oh, yeah, six books, you know. <laughs> or uh, my favorite question is, did you ever photograph anybody famous? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> but again, it's, it's, it's all, we're all different people at different times. And I've yeah. really enjoyed having the social media, you know, media or social event life because you're photographing thing, things that are fun. You're photographing good people and they pay well. Mm -hmm. um, and in many ways that, work has been more uh, lucrative than anything I ever did in music. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, ask me on any given night, I'd rather be somewhere else working with a band. So mm -hmm. you learn to kind of let the one kind of help support or um, um, pr provide guidance to the other. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned Left Bank again. That's a, a book you're working on. Uh, you photographed them, and uh, you also ex was were their executive producer. So how, how ingrained are you with the left bank and the circle? You can talk about them because yeah, you've kind of done the same thing, even if you haven't written a book about them yet. Well, so. um, a couple of years ago, I executive produced uh, a record for the daughter of a good friend of mine here in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And meaning that they, her family had raised some money. They needed to find a new producer and some other ways of getting this record done. And I said, give me a day and I will get this, put this record together. And I did. Mm -hmm. I called some friends of mine and we started the process. It took several months. We all put money in to get the record made and it was great. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, I came away going, I really enjoy this. Yeah. And again, it's probably not the best idea financially to jump in as the producer slash executive producer, but that was what was calling to me. So 2018, I saw that the circle was, had reunited with two original members and we were doing shows. Mm -hmm. So I drove out to, uh, I think, Van Wert, Ohio, which is mm -hmm. 10 hours from Charlotte, <laughs> you know, pulled up 20 minutes before the show, introduced myself, and then took pictures, met them, and then drove home. 
<laughs> and wow. then uh, stayed in touch with them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, started thinking about them and realizing, you know, the circle had, you know, great first album, really good. Their neon, their second album was great. Even the soundtrack that they did for what ended up being a, a porn. Um, <laughs> it was a great record and really, really good stuff. And they had been working on singles for Columbia toward, they were going to be part of an album, but Columbia kind of was starting to lose interest in them. So all those, these singles never got put onto an album. And I realized that the circle story was kind of unfinished. Mm. And uh, I got in touch with them and I actually helped bring them down to a festival we've done in Charlotte last couple of years called Fab Fest, which is a Beatles festival Mm -hmm. done through John Tosco and the Tosco Music Party. And I was one of the organizers behind that. And they came to Charlotte and I said, here's a crazy idea. What if you got to make the record that the circle didn't get to make in 1968? Cool. <laughs> you know, and I kind of used what the monkeys did with good times as a template and said, you know what, you can create songs that feel like a, a, a worthy, like an extension of the conversation from what mm-hmm. you were discussing playing in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And they kind of said, well, you're crazy for suggesting it, but yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> So we started talking about working on a new record and then Universal got in touch and said, would you guys be interested in re-recording your hits um, and uh, to, you know, to, you know, self for licensing. And I thought, yeah, well, my intent at the time, I think thinking was let's go ahead and do this because you all have not been in a studio before. You know, Don Damon has not been in a recording, had not been in a recording studio as the circle since 1967. Mm. <laughs> um, Mike Loskamp, um, their keyboardist had not been in a studio since 1973. Huh. And so let's, let's record these songs. Let's record some other new songs and let's use this as a way to kind of get you comfortable as we start working towards recording more new songs. Well, we recorded six songs the first weekend in March of 2020. And as you know, the world blew up yeah. four days later. <laughs> so it's really amazing. We got those songs done and then we spent several months mixing adding parts it was it was a good amount of work but those were uh, six new songs or re-recordings well okay. um three re-recordings okay um red rubber ball turn down day um mm-hmm. visit which was actually their most requested song for licensing mm-hmm. uh, it's a great song off of neon mm-hmm. mike lowstand sings that um in 66 they actually had turned down uh feeling groovy 59th street bridge song <laughs> I, I actually we they weren't going to record it and we got in the studio and i said here's an idea just record 59th street bridge so just i was gonna i suggested use it as their warm-up recording <laughs> yeah. if it works great if it doesn't we won't use it but look yeah. i wanted i didn't want them to jump straight into red river ball right and they did it and we again we spent a lot of time afterwards working on the mixing and adding new parts and vocals but it's out there. It's then, you know, now their first official new single since 1968. That's cool. And the thing I love that people have said about the, the new recordings is, wow, that's way better than I expected it to be. Yeah. Because we and us, and I really want to um, cite uh, Don Daneman for his production expertise and knowing this is what it's supposed to sound like. If it's going to sound like the circle, it's going to sound like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it's they sound great. I have high, high hopes that whenever they can start playing live again, we can start discussing 
recording again. So um, we are discussing new songs. Um, I, there's a couple things I've sent along to Don and Pat McLaughlin, their manager, and just like, hey, think about this. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see. I, Don has several new songs that are great. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Mike has some new songs. The other guys in the band have some songs. But um, there's a really good album out there right now mm -hmm. that we'll, hopefully we'll get to in, in the next year. Um, okay. With the left bank, yeah. Uh, over the years, I had been in touch with other collectors or members of the band, and they had given me CDs of mm -hmm. things that had never been released or never officially released. They might have been circulated amongst collectors. Mm -hmm. And because I was and still am such a techie Luddite, um, <laughs> I, they'd be saying, oh, do you want MP3s? Like, no, I'll lose them. <laughs> and he sent me CDs because I wanted the physical copy. I wanted right. something that, like, yeah. And so uh, um, John Kennedy, who was a great collector from England, sent me CDs of his favorite Left Bank um, material. And mm. they were still sitting there, sat right here on my desk for uh, 15, 16 years. <laughs> and, um, you know, I never really admitted I had them. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, Shortly after Tom Finn passed away, a good friend of mine uh, reached out to me and said, hey, what do you think about doing a left bank collection? Mm. And what do you have? And I was like, well, what do you want? I kind <laughs> of have it. I didn't, I, I really figured that, well, there's going to be some other collector out there that has three albums of unreleased left bank material. You know, you yep. never, the, the hoarder never thinks he's that person. Yeah. <laughs> person who has all that stuff. Right, and right. started. I started saying, "This is what I have, and this is when this was recorded." I realized, no, I really am that guy. I am the guy who has yeah. forty years worth of unreleased recordings and has them in high-end files because I asked for CDs. Hmm. So, um, I mean, there are other collectors uh, like John Kennedy, who sadly passed away, Sharfeza, um, who collected through the years, but thankfully. I was in the position where I had high-end files and I was the one in touch with the record label that we're eventually going to be putting this out. I don't want to say the, the label's name just yet because we're working towards getting this released, but we are looking at a May release. It's uh, two CDs of almost, well, it will include the third album that the band mm -hmm. did in the 70s. has never been officially uh, reissued since. A really limited release it got in 1986. Hmm. It actually been recorded in 78. Hmm. Um, and then we were able to find two radio sessions that the 2011 band did for two stations in New York, one of which I actually helped coordinate um, that <laughs> recording mm -hmm. way back when. And um, I can't wait for people to hear this. For me, this yeah. is the, the left bank record that um, I've been waiting on ever since I first discovered them in the mid to late nineties. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's a real thrill. I mean, it's, you know, for a lot of us, we say the left bank the same way we say the Beatles or the Velvet Underground. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it means a lot to me that I've been able to uh, be the person to go back to all the family members. Because sadly, all the original members have passed away, and I stayed in touch with all the family members because I had met them at different times mm -hmm. and said, "Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do this right, and mm -hmm. everybody's going to get the royalties that the band should have gotten the first time around." Cool. So um, I, I, when you're doing this, you also have to keep sight of not only doing this, but doing this right. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say I'm 
doing what I would hope other people would do for me or other, what other people would do for, for my friends, musicians I've worked with, friends I've worked with. Right. So um, I, that's one of the things that's kind of helped guide me through this whole process. It's like, if we're going to do this, we're doing this right. And I don't want any more regrets than we have to face on a day-to-day basis. So right. I'm excited. So I would say look May for that. Hopefully we'll have an official announcement soon, but um, I can't wait for you to hear it. That's cool. Uh, do you ever listen to Andrew Sandoval's Come to the Sunshine podcast? Okay. Because yeah. I wasn't necessarily a Left Bank fan. I mean, I knew about them and knew a few songs, but he goes really deep with a lot of these groups, plays B-sides and rarities and BBC recordings and things like that. And so now I can say I'm a fan, you know, at least that I'm aware of a lot of their stuff more than before. Like Circle, we mentioned just now. I think Red Rubber Ball was probably the only thing I knew before I listened to his show. And now I go, yeah. oh, yeah, they did a quite a bit of stuff. I mean, the- all their albums are great. And I can tell you, and I, I would tell people that all the, the new version of Red Rubber Ball, Turn Down Day, um, you know, the bridge, the 59th Street Bridge song, hopefully the visit soon is all available on YouTube. You can purchase it all through your various, you know, so, you know your Amazons, your iTunes and, and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to them. For me, it's uh, music is a joy. Music is something to um, say, hey, I'm really, I'm glad this exists. I'm really proud the circle exists. I'm really proud that in a few months, this left bank collection will exist. Mm-hmm. And that's really extension of me as a photographer and a writer saying, man, I hope somebody does a release like this someday. Well, <laughs> that person ended up being me. Now, are you trying to tie in your left bank book with the C- CD release or no. it's not going to... No, no, that jive that closely. <laughs> what, what did help in that certain um, there was a not there was a lot of history of that band that had not been documented, mm. and if it had it been in pieces, because I've been working on this book off and on for several years, I had you know unpublished memoirs, I had interviews I'd done with the band through the years. I was able to say, okay, here's this recording of you say, um, it wasn't done in 78. It was done in 72. Here's who was playing, you know, Michael Kamen's playing keyboards. It was done for a label deal that fell through because I had all this book info. I was able to put that towards the recordings for this collection and say, okay, I know where this came from. I know who might claim ownership. Um, so actually having been working on this book in fits and starts. Um, it was a really good thing when we jumped into this, when we, we dove into this collection. As you know, books are a, can be a mercurial thing. Yes. They <laughs> tell you um, yeah. when they arrive. And I'm, I'm sort of a binge writer. I mm-hmm. either don't write a lot and then I write way too much. Uh, <laughs> you know, like most of my books were written kind of in two, three month um, bursts. Yeah. Um, the the first draft of the Maurice Williams book, I kind of went to a lo- probably my longest writing binge uh, my life this past May. I spent two days putting together the Maurice Williams book and then went, okay, what else? And then spent two days putting the Dumbledore book out and then spent four days working on a book of essays for a publisher that hopefully will be out later this year. And mm-hmm. I, I just wrote nonstop. It was just like that, that those days I wasn't working. I was like, okay, this is all coming out of my head now. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's um, I, I, I've learned to accept that I can't control it sometimes, but as long <laughs> as it's, it's arriving when it tells me it's arriving and I get yeah. it all down, it's good. 
Right. Do you find this pandemic helpful or hurtful for that? <laughs> or no, no effect? Uh, okay. I'm easily distracted because I'm still a working photographer, you know, right. like um, right before I uh, went on with you, I had a magazine write me about a feature that I did that's coming out next month. And oh, by the way, those fo- this another series of photos you thought was due next week. Well, it's due this week. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting that together. I'll work on that tomorrow. Um, sure. I think though sometimes when I'm writing, the less distractions um, are the better. Yeah. Uh, at some point with the Left Bank book, maybe later this year, after this release comes out, I'll look back at the book and say, where am I? I know that the essay book that I mentioned, I need to spend two, three day, days more on that. And that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. But when that, when it arrives, it, that's all I'll be doing for two days. Yeah. And I do the same. You know, it's like, uh, I, I forgot one book I mentioned that, uh, that I didn't mention that I was working on. I, I got the assignment to do the Mad Magazine book, but then uh, I got the assignment to do uh, Walt Disney, stars of Walt Disney Productions. And for some reason, that wrote, really piqued my interest more than Mad. So yeah. I put away Mad for almost a year <laughs> until my oh, publisher. Wow. I mean, I'm revealing it now, but now I'm working on Mad pretty full steam ahead. But it's like, I, I, I just, my heart wasn't into it. I don't know if you've yeah. had that with the book. It's like, I go, Mad Magazine. It's like, I've done a crack magazine book and I yeah. love Mad Magazine, but mm-hmm. I always thought, Mad's already been done. And then now that I'm working on it again, Mad hasn't been done from the standpoint is most people cover Mad in its heyday. They don't cover, yeah. you know, the latter part. So I have renewed interest and now I'm working on it. So anyway, yeah. but that's my story. But a year ago, that wasn't talking to you. And <laughs> if you'd fought it, it would have fought you back even further. You know, yeah. books will fight you. If it's not ready, it'll, it'll yeah. tell you. It'll keep telling you. Yeah. So now I'm enjoying writing it. I didn't then. I was like, I don't want this. In fact, I was almost considering calling Bear Manor and said, take me off of this. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. Yeah. No, it's already been done, you know, because I don't like to tend, I tend to not like write books about stuff that's already been written. You know, mm-hmm. I did my own Beatles book, but it was just kind of a vanity project where I'm writing my own critiques. I can do that, but to write the history of the Beatles, I mean, there's like 200 books on it. Mark Lewis did it perfectly. I don't need to do yeah. it. You know, it's like, yeah. And, and you're trying to find a way that you can talk to this in a way that hasn't been done before. Right. And yeah, it, it can be, it can be dawning. It can. Um, I, I, I consider myself a writer first. I, I really, I think one of the things that interested me about photography was at that point, I was a frustrated writer and I was, I was tired of feeling like I had to write a certain way for, um, for readers or for clients at the time. And I was just like, I just want another way of talking. I just want another way of discussing what I'm experiencing, experiencing and feeling and, and discovering. And photography just, you know, hit that niche in so many ways. But, mm-hmm. um, and even I, I kind of went away from writing when I discovered photography. And then four years later, I kind of went, oh, I'm missing something. And, and got back into feature writing the first couple things I did was the remains in the left bank, you know, which then then led me to back to photographing them and working with them. So um, you accept as you go on to uh, that life doesn't come these ways that you would, you would like to plan them, but you can't. Right. But as long as you're open to when, (laughs) learn to be open to when they're ready for you. Yeah. And then you are ready for them. And that's um, that, that, you know, that 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 may sound meaningful to some. It sounds silly to others, but it's true. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I, I think we covered every aspect of your career as being a photographer, a writer, and an executive producer on recordings. Is that pretty much everything you do uh, in your in your work, <laughs> vocational time? It's the majority of that. I'm still kind of like um, overseeing a couple. I'm enjoying over this last year kind of helping to oversee or help um, get projects done that I liked, you know, whether it's, I did, I did the pictures for Sunvolt's new release, which was a DVD that I shot for them in 2005. They just released it as double gatefold vinyl. It looks fantastic. I actually rescanned all my photos from 2005 just so I could get this. I wasn't happy with how it looked in 2005, but I'm happy now. That's so cool. I'm, I'm really happy about that. And then um, there's a song that's featured in my North Carolina sixties book called ABBA. It's about mm-hmm. a group called the Paragons. And it's now like, I think the original 45s go for like $2,000. It's one of the most collectible <laughs> garage rock songs, like period. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody reached out to me from Germany and said, I want to officially license it. I want to go through the band members. And, uh, you know, I helped him with all the information. I had all the pictures that were known to exist of the Paragons on my computer. <laughs> and uh, I helped, you know, guide. Uh, there was also little things like, well, the person who actually originally wrote that song or brought the song to the band was not credited on the original 45. Mm. And I spent a good amount of time um, with the, with the guy who put the late release out and one of the original co-writers like, you know, that just because it happened this way in 67 doesn't mean it's right. You know, by the way, <laughs> his name is on the BMI register. Yeah. And once I actually showed that to them and eventually, I mean, they weren't being malicious about it. They were just, this is the way they were used. They'd seen, you know, the label owner had seen it this way, always in a label. The co-writer had always seen it this way. And his name belongs on there too, because the guy left the band or was kicked out of the band and the rest of the band kind of rearranged it, added, subtracted verses, put their spin on it. So, and again, it was, this all happened before I was born. So, you know, I'm not going to change that, mm-hmm. but I can say, Oh, by the way, you should also recognize the person who actually brought the song originally to the band. And that was a big thing for me. And that we did do that. Very so cool. um, I wasn't paid for it, you know, but I thank very much. <laughs> I appreciate um, Ultra Cat records for acknowledging me and my work on this project. But again, it's a project I wanted to see exist. So I'm glad it exists. And uh, there's always little bits and bobs here and there along the way. Um, again, I, I always, people are, are you this, are you that? I'm like, I'm, I'm Daniel Coston. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, why draw lines on yourself? Um, mm-hmm. I will tell you that uh, I, one thing I've been doing for the last week is a good friend of mine passed away last mm-hmm. week. And I, he was somebody who I knew for 18 years. And... Uh, he was somebody who always was writing lots of songs, but released very little. Hmm. Kind of, what a reason, never allowed himself to be as prolific as he actually was. And for the last week, my way of dealing with his passing was organizing and finding all these unreleased recordings hmm. that he's done. I, you know, I, I knew which friends of mine are, are similar hoarders to me, and uh, <laughs> still might actually have copies. And within a week, we've got three, four albums worth oh, wow. of material. I don't know how or if it will come out, mm-hmm. but um, I'm glad that it's all in one place now. And cool. I would want this, whether it was on my desktop or somewhere else. So mm-hmm. um, 
you know, the, the, the things I'm involved with don't have to have my name on them, but I'm glad that I'm a part of it nonetheless. Okay. Well, um, that's all the questions I have. I uh, just wanted to learn more about you and all your various careers. How can uh, people get in contact with you? And uh, you've mentioned projects that are coming up. So, I mean, go ahead and plug them where yeah. people can buy your books or buy your CDs or wherever, or pho- yeah. photographs. Well, all my uh, books are available via Amazon. Um, you can look up my name or Fort Canoga Press. Um, you can find me online at danielcoston.com. I kind of keep more of as a blog site that kind of touches on everything. I have a separate site for my uh, event photography, separate site for my music photography. You're interested in buying photos, but you can link to all that from danielcoston.com. Um, Instagram, Daniel Coston Photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter, Daniel Coston. Please hit me up on that. I don't use Twitter enough. Um, <laughs> Facebook is always uh, Daniel Coston. Picture mm-hmm. is always my late cat. Um, because he's, he's just, to this day, he's way cuter than I am. So, you know, and <laughs> I, I also, there's part of me that people say, you got to have your picture out there. And, you know, it's like, no, I have my cat out there. I retain uh, some of my youthful truculence, but I'm, I, you know, at least I'm nice about it. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, really uh, find me or just, you know, danielcost.com, um, or danielcoston at aol.com and, um, please reach out to me and say hello. And, uh, really, if you're looking for pictures of any artists or bands, um, send them my way. I probably worked with them at one point or another. So, uh, so, uh, yeah. And, um, and hopefully, um, the left bank collection will be out later in May. The single, the circle singles are out now through Lightyear Universal. Um, search the uh, Red Rubber Ball, Turn Down Day, uh, Feeling Groovy, and look uh, look for more recordings from them later this year. And uh, we'll just see what else happens. You know, it's going to be a long year. We, we've already determined this is going to be a long year. So let's let's create some cool stuff. Sounds good. All right. I want to thank you, Daniel, for being my guest on Fun Ideas Podcast. And... We'll definitely talk soon. Yeah, look forward to it. Thank you. Good to see you, man. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Daniel Costin, for being my special guest. Episode number 107 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021. Fun Ideas Productions, thank you and good night. doors at the price I'm paying be glad it isn't yours now get up crap mountain 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 get up crap mountain
don't fall back. Don't fall back. Don't fall 